The Bible from 30,000 feet, soaring through the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Father, as David prayed, we ask that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight is going to be uniquely and crazily different. Normally you have a man of God up here by the name of Pastor Skip, and he's taking us through the Bible from 30,000 feet. Tonight, my name's Nelson, I teach mostly in the School of Ministry. I'm going to, whoa, whoa. We're going to be doing the Old Testament from 30,000 miles. I have School of Ministry students imprisoned behind me who have had to go through and suffer through this, and now they get to laugh at others. We are going to do things so different tonight that some people might feel uncomfortable. I am going to ask you to close your Bibles, close your notes, put down your pens, set everything to the side. We are going to use what's called the Keyword Learning System for the Old Testament. It was made by an organization called Walk Through the Bible. There will be a lot of interaction, but because it's so different, we have to begin with no whining. Ready? I want you to say 17, 5, 17. 17, 5, 17. There are 17 history books, 5 poetry books, 17 prophecy books. I want you to say 5 plus 12, 5, 5 plus 12. 5 plus 12, There are 5 books of Moses and 12 more history. There are 5 poetry there are five major prophets, called that because they're longer, not because the topic's different, and 12 minor po- prophets. Altogether, that gives us how many books? And they cover a period from about 4,000 B.C. to 400 B.C., and we are going to begin with the books of Moses. Are we ready? What do you see here? It is a big what? Because the book of Genesis has a key word called big innings. It also proves there was baseball in the Old Testament. The book of Genesis has four main events. Creation, everything. The fall, man. The flood that destroys everything but Noah's family. And the nations. The tower of Babel is built. Languages are confused, the nations are scattered, and the table of nations is found in Genesis chapter 10. What is that all about? What's really crazy, you get into the future, like Ezekiel, and he starts prophesying about the end times. He goes, son of man, set your face against Gog and Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. And you're like, huh? What's this? The table of nations is based on the names. So you look at the table of nations in Genesis 10 and say, oh, that's where Meshach moved to. That's where Tubal moved to. It's like God saying Judah and Israel. He's not talking about geography. He's talking about a people and, of course, where they landed. So when you get into all this prophecy and see these names, you just go back to Genesis 10. After that, four events, creation, fall, flood nations, there are four people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Abraham in Genesis 15, is given the Abrahamic covenant. It's the beginning of the Jewish nation. It's the beginning of a whole lot of stuff that's going to happen with the Jewish nation and with the coming Messiah. 
It is about beginnings. So the book is Genesis. The key word is beginnings. Are you ready? The book? Genesis. Key word? Beginnings. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, says God during the fall, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head. You will bruise his heel. Basically, you're going to strike, and he's going to go. That's what's coming, Satan. So the book is? The key word is? Oh, it's an exit sign. Exit. What book could this might be? Exit? Us. Exit? Us. So the book is Exodus, and the key word is exit. So the book is? The key word is? And they all look kind of sad because they miss their mummies. <laughs> that joke's Sphinx, huh? Uh, Sphinx, Sphinx. Get the, okay, no. Genesis ends with the nation being just a clan of about 100 people. Now we're 400 years later. Exodus begins with the Jewish nation being a couple of million people. And they are enslaved because the pharaohs, now centuries later, think two million people inside our borders that are not part of us. We need to enslave them so they don't join our enemies and overthrow us. So they're enslaved. Moses winds up being born. Forty years, he is raised as an adopted son of one of Pharaoh's daughters. He kills an Egyptian, flees to the desert, and we come to Exodus 3, where there's a burning bush. Moses goes up, says, this is God. You're going to go and deliver my people. Among other things in the conversation, besides call somebody else, was, what is your name? God said, Yahweh, I am. I am. Jesus, of course, will quote that in John chapter 8. Pharisees are saying things about him, and they said, we weren't born of fornication. They were accusing his mother of being a harlot. He said, your father's the devil. So <laughs> call my mama names, I'll call you names. Don't you pick on my mama. And they said, who do you say you are? He said, before Abraham was, I am. They pick up stones to kill him because he said that he was God. He quoted God's name. So Moses comes back. Ten plagues on Egypt that are on the ten gods of Egypt, which is really cool. It's kind of like, my gods got your god in a ground and pound. And it's either snap, nap, or tap. It's one of those gods got your gods. The last one is the Passover. The Passover was get the Jews together, these families, kill a lamb, put the blood on the door cross beam and on the side post like a cross god is going to pass over and kill the firstborn all the way through the rest of the old testament the passover is a yearly feast the passover marks the deliverance because of the passover pharaoh lets them go out of egypt passover is everything and then jesus at the last supper is having the passover and he says oh by the way since John the Baptist told you, I'm the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, Paul later on is going to say, Jesus, our Passover slain for us. He said, this is no longer anything. The, the bread is my body. The cup is my blood. The Passover for the Jews, deliverance from sin, becomes the communion for the saints. 
deliverance for sin. So Moses leads the people out of the wilderness. They go to Mount Sinai. And while they're there, God starts talking to Moses up on the mountain. Because the mountain's like shaking and there's thunder and earthquakes. Moses says, come on up. They said, no, 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 you go. You go. You're good, Moses. We'll just wait here. So Moses goes up. He's getting all this stuff. Uh, Two tablets known as the law, the Ten Commandments. And he comes back down. He's talking to the people. So the book is, and the key word is, we're going to do that again. Book, key word, all right. The next, oh, look, he's giving his left foot a kiss. What book might this be? Leviticus. And in one hand, he has the offerings. In the other hand, he has the feasts. Leviticus is about the offerings and the feasts. It is Given to Moses in Exodus, this isn't advancing. While Moses is up on Mount Sinai, he's getting this book. This is for the Levites who are going to be the priest tribe. And you know how you know they're the Levites? Because it's in their genes. And, uh, what? It's genetic. Oh, never mind. So they're Levites. And that's why he has the L on the buckle. I don't know if you can see it from way back there, but he does have an L on his buckle. Let out of bondage. How do you worship this God that we don't know? I mean, it's not like the Jews had the law or had the Old Testament. The Jews are in a nation. They don't know God. So God has given them the tabernacle. He's given them the laws. And he talks about the five offerings that they're to give, the seven feasts that they're to keep every year. This is how you will worship me. So the book is, and the key word is, offerings and feasts. The book, the key word is, all right, these are a bunch of what? <laughs> oh, that's the name for the book. Numbers. And they're just lost wandering. So the key word is wanders. It's the book of? The key word is? They're wandering in the desert for 40 years. The Jewish nation has come from Mount Sinai with Moses up to the southern part of Israel. You've got the Sea of Galilee, the, the, not, the Nile, right? Sea of Galilee, um, the, the the river thingy and my mind went blank and 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 the Dead Sea. So they're down south in a place called Kadesh Barnea, and they send ten twelve spies into the land. And the twelve spies go in, ten come back, and they're like, Oh, there are giants in the land, and we're like grasshoppers. Now when I was a kid, the things we did to grasshoppers, you know, so so the the people are getting scared. Now there's two uh, Caleb and Joshua, they say, oh no, they're big, but my God's bigger. Remember, you know, what he did to the ten gods of Egypt? <laughs> but, but the people listen to the ten. So God says, fine. You're not going to go in? You go back to the desert until the generation is dead. Forty years. They come back at the end of forty years. And now you've got the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River thingy. And the Dead Sea, and they're they're on the east side of the Jordan River on the plains of Moab, getting ready to go into the land. So they numbered the people at the beginning, numbers, number the people at the end, and in between, it's a story of God's faithfulness when the people are fickle. So the book is, and it's about. Oh, when you have two people singing, what's it called? A duet, and they're running on me. Duet, run on me. Deuteronomy and they're singing I do run 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 no they're not singing that they're um I don't want you to take this book for granted 
It is about the second law. Deuteronomy. Second law. Okay, the book. The key word. Moses has these people there at the plains of Moab. This takes place in about 30 days. All of these people have been wandering in the desert. The older people are dead. The younger people have come up. And Moses said, let me review the history. He does five sermons. Here's the history that brings us to this point. Then, this is who God is. This is how you worship Him. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. And it ends with this blessing and cursing. God said, if you do these things, all of these blessings. But if you don't do these things, all of these cursings. And he gets the people to commit. We will follow God as they enter the promised land. So Deuteronomy is the retraining of the children who were born during the time of wandering. The book? Yep, do it, run on me. And the key word? Second law. You know, Moses broke all Ten Commandments at the same time. When he came off of Sinai, he got angry and he threw them down. Shattered sweat. That's... <laughs> Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, says Deuteronomy. We are now moving to the 12 historical books. Nine of them happened before the exile, and three of them happened after. This first one is the original Bigfoot. He is a general. Joshua was Moses' successor. Deuteronomy ends, Moses ends. His life is over. Joshua takes over. He's going to lead them into the, into the promised land. So the book is Joshua, and it's about the conquest of the land. So the book is Joshua, keywords, conquest. Ready? Joshua. Conquest. And when the Ninevites saw him coming, they were crushed. All right. Joshua has them go through the Jordan River during springtime. The people of the land are saying, He can't hurt us. And the God stopped the river, just opened it wide up, and millions of people just walked around on dry land. And so they're thinking, Oh my goodness, not only are they the people, but their God is like bad. He's going to hurt us. And then he cuts through the land, straight through the middle, divides the land. Does the northern campaigns, southern campaigns, conquers the land. So the first half of the book, 1 through 12, are the conquering of the land. Second half of the book, 12 through 24, is the distribution. This tribe's going to go here. This tribe's going to go there. This tribe's going to go here. The end of the book is he's calling the people together and say, look, we took out all the big bad guys, but there are lots of people still around. Um, keep following God. And the people said, yes, we will. So the book is, and the key word is, and right after Joshua comes another book. And, oh, what kind of person is that on there? Judges. That's the book. And you notice he's riding a motorcycle with the number seven. It's about seven cycles. Because there are seven cycles of sin. So it's Joshua. I'm sorry. Judges. Seven cycles. Ready? What has happened is the people are in the land and the saddest words are there was no king and every man did what was right in his own eyes so they quit following god and they would begin sinning 
And then the other nations would come in and, and just like conquer them and force them to be their servants. And they would begin supplication. Oh God, I'm sorry I sinned. Save me. Not that we've ever like had to do that because we just walk with God all the time, right? So, so there's this supplication and God would send salvation by raising up a judge, which would be a military leader, Samson, Baruch, Deborah, Gideon. And they would lead the people to overthrow their enemies. And then the people would forget God and go back in seven times over hundreds of years. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So the book is, and the key word is, And now we have a love romance book on the roof. The roof, that's Ruth. The book is, and it's a love story. So it's love, but Ruth. Love story. Once again, Ruth. Love story. During the time of Judges, so this isn't going forward, this is during the time, there's a lady called Naomi, husband, couple of sons, husband's dead, Famine in the land decides to move across the outside of Israel, across the river, and, and lands in Moab. Her sons meet a couple of gals. They get married. Her sons die. Naomi's saying, "I'm going to go back to my people." This girl Ruth is coming with her. Was the daughter-in-law, and Naomi's like, "No, no, no, no! You're beautiful. You're young. Go back. You'll find a husband." She says, "No, I'm with you." Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. They get back to the land. And, of course, they're in poverty. And they're in the area where Naomi's tribe was. And Ruth starts uh, gleaning. Because the laws have said that you farmers, you leave the edges of the field for the poor people to glean. You don't harvest the edges. So Ruth is gleaning at some field of some guy called Boaz. And if Boaz never met Ruth, he would be ruthless. But, But... in the end, he winds up saying, wow, this is a real babe. This is the first babe, Ruth. And uh, so he's all, he's all into Ruth, but he doesn't say anything, right? And, and Ruth goes home, and Naomi says, oh, Boaz, he's single, you know. Just, oh. And he's a kinsman. So we come up with the word called goel, kinsman redeemer, somebody who is related by blood, who can buy you out of poverty and slavery and deliver you. The Goel, the kinsman redeemer. So, Boaz is sleeping in his field at night, because, you know, you're guarding the harvest. Naomi says, hey, get your best dress, your best makeup, and go climb into, you know, like his bed thing. So Ruth, because, you know, the old times was a girl never called the guy. Well, she didn't call. There was no phone. But Boaz was asleep, and she laid down at his feet in his bed. And he wakes up and goes, whoa. And she says, hi. Um... And the end result is he's the kinsman redeemer, and they get married. And she becomes the great-grandmother of David. She's in the genealogy of Jesus. Just like in Jericho, there was a harlot called Rahab, who married into the nation of Israel. And she's also in the genealogy of Jesus. Jesus' genealogy has got a bunch of women in it. You didn't do that. And these were women that were considered the dregs of society. You didn't do that either. Jesus is not ashamed to call anybody his family. And now we have a kinsman redeemer and Ruth. So the book is, and it is a, 
oh, it's a mule made out of sand. And it's one sand mule. First Samuel. First Samuel. All right. And you notice the saw? Because it's about Saul. First Samuel, Saul. Ready? And you notice he has no heart for God. You see that? No heart for God. He was stubborn as a mule. (laughs) Okay, so at any rate, it's a story of Saul, the first king of Israel, who comes on the throne, ends the period of Judges, becomes the first king. David, during this time, is anointed as king. Saul goes whacked. He's not following God. He's jealous of David. He's trying to kill David. David's anointed to become king, but David's going to, after God says, I'm going to bless you, David has to spend the next few decades running for his life. Have you ever said, God's going to bless me, and then your life falls apart? (laughs) Welcome to David's family. So, (laughs) and since Jesus is the son of David, and you're like children of the Lord, you got it. Okay, so, it is the story of the first king of Israel. Now we have two Samuels. Second Samuel. This is just so wrong to be, you know. Uh, and it's about a David, because you got the king, and he's got the harp, because he was a musical thing, and he's got a heart for God. So, Second Samuel is about David. Ready? Second Samuel, David. Alright, I don't think they gotta tell him again. Okay, because I did this. Okay, I don't want to harp on this, but I think David was high strung. And he sold insurance. He did give Goliath a piece of the rock. <laughs> Second Samuel is David coming on the throne, becoming the king, and uniting the kingdom. So that these tribes are now all under one king. David came on the throne. Initially, there were only a few tribes, and there's more and more and more. So David comes on the throne and conquers all these enemies. And the land is at peace and has prosperity and is unified and is following God under David. This is, see the number one on the crown? So he's one king. First kings. And his name is Solomon. See all the women in the back? Because uh, Solomon had all those wives and porcupines, concubines. And, and, and you see, he's got all kinds of money, but the bag is split. Because what happens during his reign is it ends with the splitting of the kingdom. Solomon comes on the throne, and God shows up and says, What are you going to do? Uh, how can I answer your prayer? And Solomon says, Your people. Solomon's a young man. Your people. How can I rule your people? I don't, I'm not asking for myself. I'm asking you to give me wisdom to rule your people. And God gave him more wisdom than anyone else before him. Anyone since then other than Jesus Christ himself. And Solomon builds the temple that David was not allowed to build. Solomon expands the kingdom. He brings the greatest peace and prosperity the nation has ever seen. But... He marries a lot of women who aren't following God. His heart turns from God. That is why he has a half heart. He leaves God behind 
And upon his death, the kingdom will split. This is an X on an island. And it's two kings. Second kings, exile. Second kings begins with the split of the kingdom and ends with the nation in exile. Second kings. Exile. After Solomon dies, the kingdom immediately splits. Without going into all the history and all the kings, there are two kings in the south, I'm sorry, two tribes in the south, and they call that Judah, and ten tribes in the north, and they call that Israel. The nation Israel will never have a godly king. The nation Judah will have a half dozen. The nation Israel in 722 will be taken into captivity by the Assyrians. The nation Judah in 586 will be taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Second King traces from the greatness of Solomon to the degradation of exile. And no matter how many godly kings tried to come in, they couldn't overcome the hearts of the people who wanted to continue to sin. And the end result was exile. Second Kings. This is a newspaper called The Chronicle. And there's only one of them, and it's got a picture of David. First Chronicles, David. All right, what you've got is Chronicles covers the same period that was already covered. But this is the priest writing. So he's writing about David's life, and all he talks about is the good stuff. It's like he forgets about Bathsheba and the sin and all that David did. He just writes about the good stuff David did. It is God's view of a man, not man's view of a man. See, when God writes about you as a believer, he only writes a Chronicles. He doesn't write a Kings. So, First Chronicles. You really got to get the scoop on this one. <laughs> Vanilla, chocolate. Hey, you know, I read in the paper about the, the ship of yo-yos that sank 87 times. It's not, actually, actually. And it was carrying paint, red and purple, and the crews got marooned. So, oh, look, two Chronicles. What book do you think this might be? Sagrada. You all are so good. Okay. And it's an editorial on Judah. So it's the, the, the northern tribe, they get no editorial because they had no good kings. But this is a book that just talks about the good kings who brought revival, like your Josiah and, and, and things like that. And it also has a verse that we quote so much. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and praise and seek and humble themselves and pray and seek my faith and turn from their wicked ways. Then from heaven will I hear, forgive them of their sins and heal their land. The verse before that is like, if my people forsake me and they're being judged because they're in really bad sin, and then they call on my name. The context is, you blew it as bad as you can, but if you call on me, I got you. So, Second Chronicles, editorial on Judah. Se- editorial. 
Or do they? All right, y'all, y'all seen this? Remember when you had to do that? Isn't this fun? You're watching them? <laughs> okay, sorry. Okay, we are now going to get to the three post-exile books. All the way up to the exile, 586 B.C., the nation's gone. They're in Babylon or scattered by the Assyrians. It is now some 70 years later that the Jews are allowed to start returning to the land. So those are the next three history books. The first is an S saying Ra. Ezra, y'all so awesome. And there are the, there is the temple and there are the people. It is about the temple and the people. They've returned to the land, the people, and rebuilt the temple, or at least start rebuilding the temple. So the book of Ezra is about the temple and the people. So the book of Ezra is the, the temple and the people. Alright. What has happened is, King Cyrus of Persia has said, go home, go ahead, build the temple. And they've gone home under Zerubbabel, and they're starting to build the temple. And the people are rejoicing. And Ezra brings out the law, and it says, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances. So Ezra did expository preaching. The people who had been in captivity are now hearing the word of the God. And they're saying, yes! And they're going for the temple. Nehi. Nehi. My, oh my. Oh, what book might this be? Nehemiah. Oh, that's good. And he was not the shortest man in the Bible. He was the third. Because under him is, uh, is, is uh, Bildal the shoe height. And then beneath that would be the Philippian jailer who fell asleep in his watch. So, so we're, we're dealing with the height thing here. So Nehemiah is building the walls. So the book is Nehemiah and it's walls. Book? Nehemiah. It's about the? Walls. Now don't think about walls like I got a fence in my backyard. Think medieval castle. Like 30 feet wide, 30 feet high, enough room on top for, for a whole platoon to be marching on and, and throwing rocks down at the enemies. They built this all around Jerusalem in 52 days. Nehemiah comes. He is still a cupbearer in Persia. People have come from Jerusalem and, and, and he says, so how's it go? You guys went back, you're going to build the temple and the walls. And, oh man, it's just all these people are against us and it's not working. Nehemiah, he prays, he goes to the king. King lets him go back. Nehemiah goes back and he, he organizes the people. He gets these walls built. At the same time is a, a prophet that was, is going to come in and he's going to teach the people. So Nehemiah organizes this massive building project and all these people are opposed. He said, we're going to tell the king. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. You need to come down here. And he's like, I don't have time for you. I'm busy doing God's work. We want to be a part of it. You have no part of God's work. You're not part of us. Go away. These people are angry and upset. Nehemiah just said, you know, I'm going to do what God told me to do. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says. Because I know this is what God told me to do. I know God's going to bless it. And, and I know God's going to be honored by it. And, and y'all, you, you, you need to learn what happened to those guys in Egypt. You know, you're going to have to snap, tap, or nap. It's, you know, this is just the way it's going to be. We're moving on. So they've built the temple, but they were unprotected. Nehemiah 
has the city protected. And then after that happens, Zerubbabel and Ezra are going to come in and spend all day long, day after day, teaching the law, restoring the feast, restoring the Passover. It is a massive revival in the land. So the book is... Okay, we'll do that again. The book is... And it's about the... All right. Now this is an S stirring. It's the book of Esther. Oh, that's so cool. And she's on a Persian rug with a Persian cat. Cat's for you. Okay. Yes. Okay. I know who the cat lady is. This is a stirring story. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm really not sorry about these jokes. I, um, it's, uh, so, while Nehemiah is there, we go back to Persia. Esther is a Jewish young lady who winds up marrying the king. She's got an uncle called Mordecai. And there's a guy in the king's court, kind of like way up there politically, called Haman. Haman hates the Jews, without getting all the story. Esther is the queen. Haman comes up with a plot to have all the Jews in the land killed. Mordecai comes to Esther and says, Hey, I think you need to go talk to your husband about this. And, and and she's like, well, you know, I can't go to the king because, you know, only if you're summoned can you go to the king. If I walk in into his court, he hasn't called me. I mean, that could cost my life. And, and Mordecai says, if God wants to deliver the Jews, he can deliver them however he wants. But how do you know that you were not brought to this place for such a time as this? Get up. So... She goes to the king. King's like, yo, girl, you know, and, uh, and she says, hey, I made a dinner and we want to invite Haman. So the king's over there. Haman's sitting there. Oh, you know, the king's wife is my friend. This is going to be so great. And she says, oh, by the way, there's somebody who wants to kill me. And the king says, what? And she says, yes, I'm a Jewish woman. And Haman's like motorboating. You And the king is so angry. He gets up and he leaves the room. And, and, and then Haman stands up. And he's like, hey, 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 come on. And he trips and he falls on the queen. And about that time, the king walks back in the room and says, ah, you're attacking my woman. Um, Haman ends. All the gallows that he had made for the Jews, Haman gets to use it. And the Jews are delivered without going through the whole story. And they wind up because of the deliverance, coming up with something called the Feast of Purim. It's a celebration of their deliverance. And they still celebrate it to this day. So the book of... is about the Queen of Persia. Then we move to the poetry books. Oh, that's Job. Job? The book is? And he's in good hands, because God is sovereign. Job? Sovereign. Job? Sovereign. Job? Sovereign. Okay. He was the earliest talker in the Bible. He uh, cursed the day he was born. Okay. In this book, it opens up with Satan. Now, what I find interesting is Job is all the way back, all the way back in the time of Abraham and Isaac and stuff. 
And when I go to campuses, and I've been on a few of them, and they say, well, you know, the Jewish people never believed in angels and demons and stuff until they got with the Persians and in 500 and stuff. Well, how come the oldest book has demons and Satan and angels and stuff? Come on, the Persians weren't even born yet. So, you know, you get to some of this, there are answers, but that's just an apologetic thing. So do I have any guys that like apologetics here? Yeah, you put that in your pocket and hold on to it for later because you're going to love that. At any rate, Job's life is destroyed. His kids are killed. His wealth is destroyed. His health is destroyed. His reputation is destroyed. And even though he had been a godly man, all of his friends start showing up, three of them. And the, most of the book is just about them saying, well, you know why you're going through this, you know, because of sin in your life, you know. And, and they're, just, they're all trying to figure it out. And Job says a couple of things. He says, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and I know that even though my flesh will be destroyed, I shall see Him. He believed in the resurrection. The oldest book in the Bible. So, Job's really kind of upset with God. You ever been upset with God? You ever said, why? Why? And that's what this book is about. Why, God? Why evil on good people? And then God shows up and says, hey, Job, i got a question for you. Um... How many stars are there, Job? You know, by the way, how did they get there? What keeps them in place? The great sea monster called the Leviathan. Can you make him jump out of the water? Where does he sleep at night? How about the fountains of the deep, Job? Where do they start? With? And Job was like, and God just says, right, trust me anyway. You might not know why, but you know that I got you. Trust me anyway. So, the book of is about... Okay, everybody hold your hands up. I can see your palms. <laughs> oh, the book is Psalms. It's, it's, it's close. It's, um, it is about singing and prayer. That's what you have, singing and prayer. So it's a worship book written by many, many authors, David being one of them. And it is basically the hymnal, the worship book. So the book is? And the key word is? Oh, a fool and his money. So that's a proverb, isn't it? It's the book of? All right. And it's about wisdom. Because it's a wise old owl. Book? Key word? Chapter 31 has one of the greatest views of women ever written anywhere in the world at a time when women were considered not much more than just things you owned. God is saying, I don't care what anybody else says. I don't agree with your culture. And I am culturally inappropriate, and I think women are all that. Well, God said it, right? So if God wants to be culturally inappropriate, you can be too. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. He'll give you the desires of your path, uh, of your, uh, give you the desires of your heart. And He will make your path straight. It is a lot of short wisdom statements. Mostly by Solomon to others to say this is how to live right. Okay, now this one's about a polar bear in an ice storm. The book is 
And it's about nothing. Nothingness. Vanity, vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. All is emptiness. All is chasing the wind and vexation of spirit. So the book is about emptiness. The book is... It's about... We are dealing with Solomon, the richest man in the world, who in his day basically gained the whole world. Remember Jesus saying, if you gain the whole world, lose your soul? And he, he's got everything... And he's talking about life under the sun. And I did this, and I did that, and I built, and I got money, and I got wives, and I got to, and it's just everything he did, and uh, under the sun, under the sun, under the sun, without God. And he said, it's empty, it's meaningless, it's worthless. And the book ends by saying, however, if you fear God, life has meaning. Otherwise, it's just chasing the wind. Because you're going to die and somebody else is going to get it and a hundred years from now no one's going to remember you anyway. So the book is? And it is a? Emptiness. All right, here we go. This is Solomon. I remember Solomon. And he's singing the song of Solomon. And they're standing on a wedding cake. It's about love and marriage. It's for married couples. It, Song of Solomon is all about meeting, marrying, enjoying, going through problems, getting back together. There is no key chapter, just the whole book. The Song of Solomon is about love and marriage. So the book is, and it's about, we are now moving to the prophets. We've done history, we've done poetry, now we're going to do the prophets, and... This is an I saying ah. I say ah. Isaiah. It's about the groan and the glory. The first half of the book is like, God is going to judge you for your sin. Got it. But afterwards, he's going to restore the nation, and it's going to be glorious. Isaiah, groan and glory. You ready? Isaiah, groan and glory. All right. It's a jury. Oh, my. Jeremiah, and he's holding up a rotten sash. God had told him, I want you to go, I want you to bury this thing, and then after a while, I want you to lift it back up. Have you ever gotten to the bottom of like your laundromat thing? It's like, hey, time for some fire here. It's uh, so, so he's buried this, and basically what God is saying is, you nation are rotten to the core. You are a rotten sash. Judah has not repented. Judah continues to pursue sin. Judah continues and continues and continues to rebel. You will be taken to captivity. You will be destroyed. You are a rotten sash. You're worthless. And unfortunately, this prophet known as the weeping prophet sees the fulfillment of those prophecies. So the book is? And it's about? Oh. If you were in the classroom right now, I would be assigning term papers and giving a pop quiz. Just to... Okay. The book is? And it's about? And I do want to thank you all from back here for getting this right. The fact that you were tested on it. Um, Okay. On some lamb... So sad. Lamentations. 
It's about tears. We know it's a lamb and not a sheep because of the diaper. It's a little lamb. Little sheep. Okay. Okay. Lamentations. Jerusalem has been destroyed. Jeremiah is recording the destruction. The Babylonians are burning, pillaging. And Jeremiah is weeping as he watches this. And in the midst of this destruction, he says, I know my thoughts concerning you, saith the Lord. Does anybody know the rest of that verse? Thoughts of what? Thoughts of good and not of to bring you a future and a hope. Lamentations records the destruction of Israel. I'm not trying to pull the wool over your eyes on this one. The book is? It's about? Okay. Easy on this one. Ezekiel. Now his name's Terry because of the Terry cloth. It's about dry bones. See? Dry, dry bones. The book of Ezekiel goes on kind of in captivity. So Ezekiel's been taken into captivity. Not all the Jews have been taken yet. Ezekiel is there. False prophets say, no, we're going to go back. Ezekiel saying, no, man, plant vineyards. We're going to be here a long time. Just stay, just stay here. Because God's still going to destroy them. Well, God does destroy them. And then Ezekiel starts talking about, by the way, there's going to be hope. There's going to be a future. So Ezekiel is the last days of the judgment and the future hope. By the way, he never went to parties. You know why? He had no body to go with. Okay, so, the book is, and it's about, prophesy to these dry bones. Can these bones live again? I will raise them up. I will put sinews on that. I will put bones, muscles, flesh. Ezekiel became a nation again in May. What's your birthday? Oh, that was the same date. May 14th, 1948. God is beginning the fulfillment of end-time prophecy in our day. And then you read the next chapter, it talks about Meshach and Tubal and all those nations that are going to invade, and you go, who's that? And then you look on the map and you go, oh my goodness. But I'm not going to tell you anymore because we have to keep moving. So, the book is... And it's about... Oh, this is so good. Okay. And what's his name? And why didn't he go to parties? Okay, there we go. All right. This is Daniel, and it's all about dreams. He's, I'm not lying to you. It's, a, it's, about, it's about dreams. So, Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, he gives this prophecy of the 77s upon Israel, and we're not even going to get into it. But what's fascinating is Daniel lays out, if you've ever seen like a timeline, you're in a history class, and they got 180, 200, 300, 400. This is what happened. They put stuff in. Daniel chapter 7 is the timeline of all Bible prophecy. So when you're over here and you say, oh, Magog and Gog, they're going to come, they're going to attack Israel. You say, oh, this is where it's going to happen. And, and the Messiah, oh, this is where it's going to happen. And this is where it's going to happen. This is the 
timeline for every Bible prophecy about end times events. It is fascinating to read Daniel. He began as a bunch of young men who were taken captive and brought to Babylon to be trained, to be leaders in Nebuchadnezzar's court. So when the rest of the Jews are brought in, they had kind of Jewish people who have been cross-trained. Hundreds, hundreds of young Jewish boys. And it says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself before God. And you read of Daniel and his three friends, thousands of years later, and the hundreds that came with him who said, whatever, I'll eat that meat and drink that wine. We don't even know their names. Daniel took a stand. Daniel wasn't at church. Daniel didn't have the temple. Daniel didn't have his parents. Daniel was taken to a hostile place in a hostile land and told, do this or die. And he said, I won't bow. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego the same way. You bow to the statue or we throw you into the fire. Be it known to you, O King Nebuchadnezzar, my God whom we serve is able to deliver us. But even if he does not, you need to know one thing. We won't bow. So I always pray for Daniel for my daughter. God wants somebody who says, I ain't afraid of man. What are you going to do? Burn me for a minute? Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to burn forever. What's up, king? Oh, I love Daniel. Okay. Okay, now we move to the minor, well, minor prophets. Oh, this is, that's a hose, isn't it? Hose. Oh, uh, Hosea. The book is? And it's a red light district, so it's about a harlot. Okay, so Hosea harlot, ready? And whenever she got a cold, it would just run forever and running nose, the running nose thing. The prophet Hosea lives in Israel. He's told, go marry this harlot. The harlot would run out with other men. Go get her back. She'd run out. Go get her back. Go get her again. And then after this prophet goes to this, God says, Would you tell the nation of Israel that they are the adulterous wife of Jehovah? You have broken my heart, but I will bring you back. See, in the New Testament, the church is the virgin bride of Christ. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is the adulterous wife of Jehovah. The book of Hosea. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You have rejected my knowledge. I will reject you. You have forgotten my law. I will forget you. The book of Hosea. But it doesn't matter how many times you run out. All you got to do is say you're willing and I'll bring you back and restore you. This is in a culture that if the woman ran out, you were to kill her. God says, "Uh uh-uh. I'll take you back. I don't care where you've been. Have you ever, have you ever had a bad day, gone home and you have a dog there? (laughs) He don't care about anything. Okay, now please don't get this wrong. God says, I don't care where you've been. I'm happy to see you. That's a bunch of what? Jello. Joel. The book of Joel. And it's about locusts. So the book of? It's about? Now this one really bugs me because it's... um, because it's basically, locusts have come in, destroy the land. God said, that ain't nothing. I'm bringing an army, and they're going to destroy even more than that. Look out. See, everything's brown, everything's dead. You're done. But if you repent, I will restore everything the locust has eaten. So it's? 
What kind of animal? A moose. (laughs) What's the book? Amos. Amos. He's holding a plumb line. He's saying, oh, Israel, you're crooked. Now, the prophet stands there and says, in the middle of Israel, for seven sons of Ammon and for eight, I will judge. They go, yeah, get those Ammonites. So, for seven sons of Moab and for eight, I will judge. Yeah, get the Moabites. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, for seven sons of Israel and for eight, I will judge. And God's like, oh. And, 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 oh, you remember Peter saying, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Mmm, I think maybe he might have been, for seven sins, I'll pass over. The eighth one, boom. So, the book of, I have measured you and found you crooked. The plumb line. So the key word is? Plumb line. It's an obed. Obediah. It's not a twin bed. Some people said that, but that's a lot of bunk. Um, he's holding a key and, he, and they're brothers. So brothers, keeper. Obadiah, brothers, keeper. It is about Esau and, and the Edomites and all of these people. Basically what happened is the nation, the Jews are here. People are invading. The Jews are running. And these people who are their relatives were capturing them and selling them back as slaves. God says, you should be your brother's keeper. So I will destroy you. Oh, Jonah. Sometimes called return of the swallow. Okay. You can't keep a good man down. Have you ever heard that seafood can make people sick? Ha! Payback! No, it's up. So, what? Jonah. Jonah, go to the Assyrians, the Ninevites. Tell them. You say, oh no. Oh no, I'm not going. Oh no. So, so Jonah runs. God says, <laughs> now you're going. And by the way, don't run. You're just going to get messed up and then have to start over. So, so anyway, God brings him back, puts him in Nineveh. Jonah says, 40 days, you're all going to die. And he goes outside and he's sitting down for a front row waiting for him to die. And, and, and they repent. It's the greatest revival in the Bible ever. It's the greatest revival in history. And God saves them. And Jonah's all angry. He says, I knew you would forgive them. I knew you were going to forgive them. Why? And God says, Jonah. (laughs) So, have you ever driven down the road and say, I sure am glad there's not a cop right now. But a few minutes later, say, I sure wish there was a cop that saw that person. Okay. Okay. Where about Jonas? Okay. I'm hearing a lot of laughter. Ha. Ha, birthday girl. Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, the book was? And the key word was fish. Okay. This is a mic. Microphone. Micah, and the sun represents the day, and is a courtroom. Micah, day in court. Mike is saying, Micah is, I'm going to take you to court, Israel. You say, look at us, we're all prosperous, we've got all kinds of good money, things are going well. I got, I guess it's all okay. And he's like, no, 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 I'm going to take you to court, and I'm going to tell you all the charges that are against you. You can be found guilty, and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to you, you're going into judgment. That's what the book of Micah is all about. Israel, this is your day in court. You say, I'm okay. Say, oh, no, you're not. And let me tell you why. So the book is? This is the book of? And it's about a flood. 
Nahum fled. Well, they repented when Jonah preached, but a hundred years later, they're bad again. Have you ever, like, gotten right with God and then took a step backwards? Well, these guys really went back. So Nahum comes along and says, Hey, y'all, remember when you repented under Noah? <laughs> no repentance this time. Boom, you're going to die. So God brings a flood, raises the Tigris, the, the walls of the city are destroyed, the Babylonians come in, Nineveh's gone. This is a ha-pack. And a cuckoo bird. Hapakuk. Habakuk. Hapakuk. And he's standing on a tower with watches. It's the weight. The original weight watcher. Oh, it's, it's watchtower. See, so Habakkuk the prophet saying, God, look how wicked these people are. Why aren't you bringing judgment? God says, just stand here and watch. Here it comes. And no, he's going, oh no, not them. Oh God, please, in judgment, remember mercy. I make my students memorize that before they do the teacher evaluation. Um, <laughs> so the book is, it's about, uh, watch it. Oh, it's a Z fanning himself. Z fan. Zephaniah. Z fan, Zephaniah. The book is, and it's about, oh, the, the day of the Lord. Zephaniah is the day of the Lord. He said, as bad as things have been, there's coming a day. Now, the day of the Lord isn't one day. It's like God's going to show up. He's going to do all this judgment. He's going to take out all these bad people. And he's going to restore all of the nation. The day of the Lord is this period of end times, judgment for all sin, and, 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 and restoring of all righteousness. Where God says... Just because I haven't dealt with it yet doesn't mean I'm not going to. I don't understand why God hasn't. Why does he love this? Why he, has, hey, did any of you when you were growing up, somebody said, you just wait till your dad gets home. Anybody, anybody ever hear that? Okay. Any of you ever say that? You know. So, so all day long, the child is like, <laughs> I do the trash. Anything. Because when dad gets home, okay, our dad's not home yet. And when he gets home, sin will be dealt with. In the meantime... Have you ever gotten away from stuff? You know, you want to talk about when you were a kid, you got away. You, you don't have to raise your hand because we all know that you did. Um, okay. What if your dad knew all of it and he was coming back that night? What if your dad knew everything you did and he was going to show up that night? It's like, oh my goodness. Well, our dad's coming back just because he hasn't done it yet. And Zephaniah is like, dad's coming home. And of course, I'd always be standing behind my mom, look at my sister going, mom, you want me to go get a switch? Okay. Hey, Bill, Mom asked me to ask you to take out the trash. He's taking out. I asked your brother to do that. Okay. A hug of an eye. Haggai. The book of Haggai, post-exile. He comes in. He says, build the temple. And that's what this is. The people built the temple after the exile. Z-cry. Zechariah, Zechariah, Zechariah. The book is, it is about the coming Messiah. It's about Messiah. Zechariah has more prophecies of the coming Messiah than any other book. He's coming on a donkey, the fowl of a donkey. He's going to land on the second coming on the Mount of Olives. He's going to split the Mount of Olives. Zechariah, the Messiah is coming. It's there, but he's coming. Zechariah is about Messiah. Zechariah. Messiah. 
it's a mallet. Malachi. Malachi smashing hearts of stone. Malachi, hearts of stone. Ready? This is the last Old Testament prophet. You have hearts of stone. You're not listening. But you know what? I'm going to send a messenger. He's going to show up. And he's going to make the way straight. And he's going to bring in the Messiah. And Malachi closes. And 400 years of silence. And Matthew shows up and says, And John the Baptist came in the wilderness saying, Make the way straight. He's here. Are you ready for a test? Are you ready for a test? Here we go. Book. Yes, in Leviticus, offerings and feasts. Here we go. There we go. Joshua, conquest. Again, come on. Ruth, love story. Oh, see the Cupid? Every time he hits, he misses. Ha, misses. Okay, sorry, sorry. Okay. Saul. What kind of heart did he have? No heart for God. Whole heart for God, yeah. Solomon. People in temple, if I can get the uh, worship band to come out. Okay, Nehemiah Wall, sorry. Queen of Persia. Psalms. Worship. Proverbs, wisdom. Song of Solomon. Grown in glory. Right, Isaiah, grown in glory. Here we go. Jerry. Okay, again, Joel Locust. You got it. Right, Micah, Dear the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Would you stand and unto Him.
stand. Who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy, blameless, to the only God, our Savior, to Him. To Him be the glory, honor, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. You graduate. For more resources, visit calvarynm.church. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from the Bible from 30,000 feet.